This is Brian. I'm on the phone with Matt from Most Giganticus. Uh, you just heard the song Days of Yore from uh, Most Giganticus. I can't say the name of your, your band, man. Um, from Commander. Um, and my first question for you, Matt, is uh, what is Most Giganticus? 
Well, uh, Motion Agenicus is, I guess, technically would be considered uh, a, a one-member band in that it's uh, it's pretty much my band. I'm the songwriter, and I perform uh, most of the music on the recordings and stuff. Um, but when we play live, uh, we play as a three-piece with some uh, technology to help us out. So um, it's kind of a, a, a three-person band uh, by way of one-member band uh, that I've been working on for the past couple of years and uh, have pretty much just been ramping up the time I've been putting into it for about the past two or three years until now. It's completely consumed my life. What's, uh, where, did the, where does the name come from? Well, uh, the name uh, came from very, very early days before Most Gigantic was anything close to what it could be compared to right now. But uh, initially, um, I guess back when I was in high school, um, uh, a bunch of my friends uh, were all getting ready to go off to college, and um, I kind of and nobody wanted to join, start a new band uh, with me, um, but everybody wanted to play. So the plan that I came up with was to start this band um, that had basically every song would be a different um, cast of characters, and I would be involved in, in everything, uh, but say like we would you know write one song with this guitarist and this bassist, and then another song with another set of people until we put together a decent amount of songs, so 12 or 14 songs, each of which had different musicians on everything. And in the end, my plan was to have this this recording, uh, this you know record that would have 40 or 50 members to this band. And uh, the band would be the most giganticest band ever. And, uh, and I kind of just bastardized that poor grammar into uh, something that sounded a little bit more like some kind of imposing Romanesque, maybe robotic name, uh, Moj Giganticus, and uh, that's where the name came from. But I very quickly found out that the only thing harder than holding together a band of five people is uh, holding a band together of 50 people, and it very quickly <laughs> devolved into being a solo project, and I just ended up writing songs all by myself, and here I am, you know, six or seven years after that doing this. So, uh, you're, and you're based out of, you're based in Philadelphia, is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, is there a pretty good scene there? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's funny that with uh, as much as I love Philadelphia, with all the touring and everything that um, that we get into, uh, I probably play places like Atlanta more than I play Philadelphia. Um, but when we do get to play Philly and when we are around town, uh, I love it. Um, a lot of times people ask me if uh, there's anywhere else in the country that I would consider moving to if I were to leave Philadelphia. And um, really, there's no city I've been to across the country or even in Canada, Alaska, that really encompasses everything that I love about Philadelphia um, more than Philadelphia itself. Um, So, yeah, it's it's, for the moment, aside from the cold winters, uh, it's really my ideal place to be. I know all about cold winters. Um, (laughs) So you just finished a new record called Gift Horse that's due out uh, sometime real soon. Uh, what's going on mm-hmm. with that? Well, um, basically, uh, with Gift Horse, um, I've kind of started taking Moshe Gennakis into a more, uh, kind of into a more metal arena. Um, and I guess the way I've kind of been envisioning this record is uh, like post-apocalyptic stoner metal. Um it's still very keyboard driven, but um, 
when I wrote all the songs, I had a very particular aesthetic in mind and what I was going for. And uh, I'd say it, it certainly, to use a kind of word that's been overused a lot recently, but uh, I think it's, I got to use it again. It's fitting. It's uh, kind of up the brutality of things. Uh, less, it's a little less poppy, but it's a lot more brutal. And the songs of, uh, have really become like exponentially complex as compared to where they were on anything before. Um, one of the uh, the songs that you just played, Days of Yore, is actually going to show up again on Gift Horse, kind of being re-included with this, this batch of songs, because that's kind of the way that, uh, that's the direction that the songs have been going in, closer to what Days of Yore is from the Commander EP that I put out. Um, but uh, even that is a little bit, a little bit more simplistic than where some of these other songs, the way some of these other songs have come out. So I'm pretty excited to take it in this uh, in this new direction and. Uh, I think that uh, I think it's gonna I think it's it's gonna be my favorite thing I've ever done. It already is. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, up next we have the song "My Machine," which is from the Invisible Hand. Uh, and Invisible Hand was your first record, is that correct? That's correct. Um, so, what what can you tell us about the song "My Machine"? Uh, "My Machine" was a song that I actually uh, had to crank out um, under the gun a little bit. It's the first time I've ever had like a creative deadline because uh, I had a batch of songs that um, the label that I was talking to at the time, Valiant Death Records, uh, they were interested in putting out this uh, first full-length release that I had together, but um, they were concerned that it was too short and they would be right in that concern. So they asked if I could, you know, crank out a couple more songs uh, in the next month or two to include with the record. And, um, out of that came My Machine and another song on The Invisible Hand called Bluff and Cover, which um, ended up being my favorite songs on that record. As a matter of fact, they're uh, really the only two songs that I'm not at least a little bit, uh, I don't cringe when I have to listen to again. So, um, yeah, My Machine, it's short, it's sweet, and to, it's you know, short, sweet, to the point, and uh, I feel like it's really... When if I were to boil down the invisible hand, that's the the song that I would like to use to represent it. This is the dawn of my Okay, we're back. This is Brian. I'm still on the phone with uh, Matt from Moe's Giganticus. That was my machine from the Invisible Hand. Um, so you play the guitar live. Uh, how did Correct. that happen? Um, really, it came out of out of necessity, and it came from uh, when the first time I went on tour as Moe's Giganticus. Originally, um, 
it's that it is it has been like my solo project originally i was touring solo and i just uh, would play i would play guitar and uh and do vocals and uh use the vocoder which is another prominent um some other prominent factors of most Gigantica's. but um before i even came up with that whole plan basically some friends of mine who were in a band from baltimore uh called abiku um they were really encouraging me to get out on the road in the tour a little bit, and this is before the Invisible Hand um, even came out. This is actually what um, how this label, that label, and Valiant Death actually got interested in putting that out because I started touring um, and didn't really have any releases, but I had some songs and was doing that. But um, the, so yeah, my friends Abiku had uh, kind of told me that I really need to come on tour, and I guess they, they, they decided that the way I work best is with deadlines and, and ultimatums, and I guess they would be right in that as well. And they said, listen, we have this tour booked. Um, we want you to do the last week with us, and it'll just be a way for you to get yourself together, put a live show together, and uh, get out on the road so that you can, once you have it together, you can do it anytime you want. So that good to me. Um, unfortunately, at the time, I was just finishing up my... Uh, my my thesis for my master's degree in grad school and uh, didn't really put two and two together until it was kind of getting down to the deadline. And essentially I finished my uh, grad student thesis uh, four days before the tour was supposed to start and I hadn't done anything to adapt the songs that I had recorded to any type of live manner at all and had like four days. I was still, was already in grad student thesis mode, so I just kept that energy going. I was working, you know, like 24 hours one day and then maybe like 20 hours the next day, pretty much not sleeping, trying to figure all this out. Um, I hadn't really played keyboard live at all. I was a drummer to begin with. Um, and the guitar is something that I had laying around from a period of my life where I had a little bit too much money and access to eBay and just bought up a bunch of music gear that I thought might come in handy one day. And as time went on, I sold most of it back onto eBay and got my money back for it. But a few key things filtered through that uh, that time of plenty, one of which being that guitar and the other being uh, the vocoder itself as well. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't know how, what I was going to do to perform live. Um, I didn't want to just do vocals because I didn't even have a band behind me, so I thought it would be a little awkward to be standing up there and just doing vocals. So I wanted to have something to play, and I don't know how to play guitar or any stringed instruments, and it seemed like uh, playing a keyboard was the fastest way to get from A to B and uh, to have something to play live. And so I just picked it up and started figuring out what I needed to do to get a show together, and that's kind of kind of learned how to play guitar in front of an audience as I went on that tour, because I only had about four days to practice uh, from scratch with that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the best way to learn. So I, I, yeah. I, I kind of learned to play guitar in front of people, so... <laughs> I, I, just a little aside, I, I played in a ska band for a minute because I had played trumpet in high school, and uh, you know that was kind of my only option <laughs> if I wanted to be in a, any kind of in a band. Rock band. Yeah, I was like, right. I played trumpet, so and uh, when uh, we ended up, our guitar player had left the band, and I was like, well, I'll figure it out. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it was, uh, I definitely can relate to that. So. Yeah, yeah, there's no better way to light a fire under yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's like we've got a show, and like our next show is in three months. I better learn how to play guitar. Um, the uh, you kind of touched on a lot of this. I, I'm actually I'm going to combine two of these questions I have because um, sure. you had uh, you you've kind of hit on all of this, but you talked a lot about sort of the um, the aesthetic that you're going for with the new record, uh, Gift Horse, um, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask a little bit about 
like what when you're when you're writing songs since you are one man one man band but you um, have a band like you tour with a, uh, two other people mm-hmm. what's your creative process like when you're writing those songs and then also can you talk a little bit more about um you, you talked about the aesthetic, but is there? It seems to be that in addition to the aesthetic that you have on a lot of the songs I've heard from you, there seems to almost be sort of like a narrative that kind of goes along with those uh, mm-hmm. lyrically. So I was just kind of curious if you could talk about um, your creative process and then also both musically and lyrically. Sure, sure. So um, I, <laughs> speaking also on the the idea of me working best under pressure with deadlines and ultimatums uh, and whatnot. Um, Pretty much all of the music that uh, that I've written that I'm proud of to date for Most Organicus all came with like some kind of creative deadline along with it. First, it started with the Invisible Hand cranking out two more songs, and then with Commander, um, basically I had a tour that I'd planned that was coming up, and uh, basically didn't really give myself enough time to work the way I thought I wanted to work and ended up writing and recording all the songs, ended up writing all the songs on Commander in nine days and then recording them in another nine days. And so within 18 days, it went from absolutely nothing, including like no ideas, nothing really written down at all to a finished record. And I was both relieved and impressed at at, uh, what came out of 18 days of round the clock work. Um, I guess also kind of tapping into my grad student work ethic days. Um, and for this year, uh, for what has ended up now becoming Gift Horse, um, I kind of had planned myself to do, gave myself about two months to write another EP, which is what I originally had planned because I, did, I didn't really, given my personal schedule and things that I had to deal with, uh, I didn't think I would have enough time to write a full length. And again, I was in a situation where I didn't really have any ideas on the table yet, um, and then after talking to the labels that that, I'm, that I work with and um, a few other people, it really ended up, the pressure to put out another full length really kind of came on. And it made a lot of sense logically as to this would be a good time to do a full length. So uh, I decided to do it and essentially ended up going from uh, from zero to seven new songs and one recycled song, unfortunately, um, in, in a matter of, I guess, about 14 days. Um, and then another, uh, probably another two weeks to record them. So uh, typically the creative process comes out of uh, stress and like a 100% like all time dedicated to writing and recording things. And basically when I'm in that mode, it just comes to me and then I like kind of turn around and uh, I'm like, whoa, there's seven songs just came out of that. I don't even remember writing this stuff. Honestly, like I've said it to other friends of mine is that like I'll, I'm so focused on the song that I'm writing at the time that I'm writing, and I'll spend like two or three days um, just completely focused on one song. And then once it's done, uh, put it to rest, move on, start writing the next song, and kind of start from scratch again. And then I'll look back at the last like two or three songs I wrote, and since it was such a short period of intense work, I don't even remember doing half the stuff I did. And I'm like, man, I I don't even remember coming up with that. So uh, it kind of comes out of uh, necessity and uh, stress and a lot of coffee. And uh, I'll just kind of live in front of the keyboard, in front of my computer for, you know, a period of two weeks, not leave the house, not change my clothes, not sleep. And then uh, next thing I know, there's some songs that came out. Um, the, the lyrical process is a little bit more involved, often, often rushed as well, but uh, I've always been happy with what I've come up with so far. Um, right now, the thing that's holding up 
uh, finishing gift horse, aside from me being on the road, is that I still need to write lyrics, finish lyrics for all the songs. So it's going to be another sort of finish with that. But, uh, yeah, typically I have something in mind. With Invisible Hand, it had a lot to do with kind of um, technological upheaval. Um, and because it was... Uh, Invisible Hand came from a lot of ideas that uh, that I had had, like, growing up, and, you know, it was a little bit less... Um, a little bit more immature than some of the, the later stuff. Um, but, you know, it definitely had a uh, lyrical theme to it um, that kind of tried to tell a story or some sort of narrative, um, if, if only in vague terms. Um, and then the Commander EP was uh, specifically written about Nikola Tesla because I had done a lot of reading um, and research about kind of his life and accomplishments and defeats and found him to be a pretty inspirational historical figure um, and could relate relate to him in a lot of ways. So uh, it is a little bit esoteric the way the lyrics are written, but it's all um, all having to do with Nikola Tesla, basically. And now um, with Gift Horse, I'm kind of looking towards ideas of... Uh, Kind of, kind of trying to touch on on topics of of the end of the world, or maybe at least the end of the world as we know it. Um, and again, not in such specific terms, um, but a lot of the stuff I think is going to be more of from the point of view of somebody who's trying to deal with the end of the world, uh, or kind of like what kind of characteristics or um, mindsets I feel would be important to to survive something as such a such a paradigm shift as everything you've ever known changing, you know, almost instantaneously, uh, but not necessarily so. I just feel like a lot of uh, a lot of things I've been reading, a lot of things I've been getting into, and I'm sure not the only one, just, you know, point to uh, uh, getting to a point on, on this planet with our, uh, with human civilization to a point where things are not necessarily going to last forever. And so I'm kind of trying to touch on those, those sorts of topics. My last question is actually not about your band. Okay. Uh, it is about your uh, is about your your bus. Um, right. That I know. Unfortunately, you you mentioned before we started recording the show that you're currently marooned uh, in Atlanta. Mm, uh, somewhat, I did, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I did I checked out um, the uh, there's a video that you have on your MySpace page of uh, you and I believe it's the the guy from Emotron. That's correct. Uh, talking about the uh, vegetable fuel, vegetable mm-hmm. oil fueled. Uh, van that you guys have or tour van that you tour bus that you uh, mm-hmm. have are you still still driving that same bus yeah absolutely it's pretty much uh when that bus is fully loaded with gear and we're on the road uh that's my entire life on those six wheels basically so uh i don't intend to give up this bus anytime <laughs> soon we've put a lot of hard work and uh and money and time and, and love into the bus so uh i intend to have it for a long time <laughs> one of our uh, first the first show, actually, the first interview that I did for Rocket Bomb was with uh, Travis Shuttle from the band Piebald. I don't know if you're familiar uh-huh. with that yep. band or not, but they also were touring on a bus uh, running on vegetable mm-hmm. oil. So we had a discussion about that. It's um, I, I I actually watched the video uh, earlier today just to kind of hadn't, hadn't watched it in a while, and it's it was a really really well done video that you guys put together about the process going into doing that. And it's so, it's something that I. I guess I applaud you for doing it's something I feel like I'm too I feel like I'm too lazy to do um, <laughs> it is a lot of work it is definitely a lot of work it's something I wish I could do I had a actually I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about um, 
how I thought it would be really cool to do something similar to what you're doing and almost create like a uh, a series of web videos of transforming a car mm-hmm. and getting like an old like diesel Jetta or something and right. uh, like basically doing all the work that it requires to to do it which I have no idea how to do which would be kind of the g- good thing for the video <laughs> it's cuz I don't <laughs> know what I'm doing so right but uh yeah, that's still, like I said, it requires, like you said, it requires a lot of work. And like I said, I'm very lazy about that kind of stuff these days. So, um, but I, I wanted to ask you too, on the topic of that, um, like what is your, what was your, what helped you make the, the decision to, uh, put all that work into, into the vehicle for tour? Sure. Well, yeah. Um, the, the original, I mean, I, I was a lot like um, like you were saying earlier, where it's like, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool to, to have that and kind of not have to pay for gas anymore? And, uh, you know, the more as as my life went on and uh, took the path that it took, it became more and more uh, attractive for me to be more self-reliant on being able to work my way through things as opposed to having a job to pay for things, you know, essentially cutting out that middleman of money, <laughs> essentially. Um, so uh, essentially having having the bus, having this uh, vegetable oil converted bus, aside from the initial investment it costs for parts and making putting it together, um, it kind of converts uh, – what you would normally be, what normally bands would do when they're at home, they work their regular job, they save up a lot of money, and then they go on tour and use that money to pay for gas to be on tour, and and that's how it, you know would normally work. Whereas in our situation, this allows us to essentially have a job that travels with us. In that we don't have to save up money to buy gas on the road, we just have to have to work for our fuel as we go. So. It was kind of a concept that came about as like, well, this could be like a portable job, and now we don't have to have regular nine to five jobs because, really, on the road, all we need to pay for is uh, food and fuel, and uh, food we can even pull out of a trash can if we need to, and often do. And so, fuel is the only thing we need to worry about. And uh, if we can make our fuel from recycled vegetable oil, then uh, that cuts that out, and basically we can tour for free and uh, not have to worry about expenses and. Um, that's not always the case. There are, of course, overhead to touring no matter what, but fuel is a huge expense. So we um, we basically were planning on – we started looking at this tour to Alaska, and it became very clear to me that the only way we were going to possibly be able to afford a trip to Alaska um, would be to not have to pay for, for fuel. Um, there was no other way to do it. And uh, so that's kind of what made the decision, like, look, if we're going to – if we're going to tour like this and we're going to be on the road for five or six months at a time, um, we need this the only way we can do it. We need this. And uh, it kind of put me in a position where it made the most sense to kind of fulfill that fantasy that I always had of doing this. And so we just got to work on it and started putting every penny we had and every spare second we had into making it work, and here we are. How long, uh, how long did it take you to, to build it? Uh, well, it was uh, it was a constant work in progress. Um, I didn't do the actual engine conversion myself because, as you had mentioned earlier, I didn't know anything about doing the conversion. But I did have a good friend of mine uh, named Dave who lives right outside of Pittsburgh who started a company called Fossil Free Fuel, and they do um, 
conversions professionally. So since I had that contact, um, I gave Dave a call and said, hey, Dave, I have this vehicle. That Purchasing the vehicle was a ordeal in and of itself to find this, the right thing that I wanted, but eventually I got that for a pretty good deal. And uh, once I had the diesel vehicle, the next step was the conversion. I talked to Dave and uh, asked if not only you know we could get an appointment to have him work on the conversion, but if I could come along and kind of live with him uh, while he was doing the conversion so I could watch it be done and so I would learn what was being done as opposed to just handing it over and saying, hey, Dave, uh, do this for me and hand it back converted. You know, like I wanted to, I figured I was going to need to be um, doing maintenance or repairs or, you know, it's it's always, I have a very DIY mentality, so I want to know what's happening so that I can either do it myself later or, you know, fix problems that go wrong. At least, you know, so I have the knowledge I know what's going on. Cool. So. Yeah, the conversion itself took, uh, I guess it was about six weeks um, in the shop because uh, just, you know, other other repair jobs and other conversions he was doing, waiting for parts, this, that, and the other thing. You know, it takes, it takes some time to do something like that because he's essentially ripping the engine apart and then putting it back together again. And the vehicle that I have is a particularly difficult engine to work with because the engine compartment is so cramped. Um, it's really hard to get any work done. You essentially have to take everything apart to get to anything. <laughs> so yeah. it's uh, labor-intensive. And then um, after the conversion itself was done, uh, it was another process of building the portable um, vegetable oil filtration system that we have in the bus, um, which I did build myself. And uh, that spanned, I guess, about three weeks because we had to leave for tour as soon as the conversion was done and we didn't have the filtration system in place yet. So every, you know, $15 that we would make from a show, I'd go to Home Depot and buy the next part I needed to to work on the um, filter filtration system. And little by little built that as we were on the road until we were in Sarasota, Florida, and I finally completed it. And now we can, you know, uh, purify our own vegetable oil so we can keep this going. And uh, every every little thing about it was a learning experience and uh, a process of going through and trial and error and just figuring out what we needed to do. But uh, as you mentioned earlier about doing a series of videos of going through the conversion, my my intention, uh, I'm not sure how long it'll be, but my intention is to essentially put together a very detailed step-by-step website of, you know, parts manufacturers I dealt with, the process of what I did, pictures of how it looks, and kind of put it all together for people. Because a, a lot of people ask me about how to do it, you know, how long does it take, how much does it cost, people are interested in this sort of thing, and I feel like if I just put the, the time in once to put a really detailed website, it could serve as a pretty useful resource for a lot of oh, people. Yeah. It definitely could. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, my attention, I'm a little, little overbooked always, but uh, sooner or later I'm going to get to that, and hopefully some people will be able to use it. Well, the last song that we have from you is a song, Legacy, which is also from Commander. Um mm-hmm. Before we listen to it, uh, what can you tell us about that song? Uh, Legacy is, again, it's, uh, it's off Commander. It's uh, dealing with Nikola Tesla. It's kind of, uh, I feel like Legacy and Days of Yore were the two songs on Commander that started the transition from kind of the old era of Moshegenicus into the new era, which is a little bit, a little bit more metal-influenced. Um, so I feel like... Uh, yeah, even though Days of Yore isn't quite, I'm sorry, uh, Legacy isn't quite as brutal as Days of Yore, it still kind of has that Iron Maiden feel to it that uh, that I really appreciate. So that's that's my that's my nod to Iron Maiden with uh, Legacy here. Cool. Well, thanks for uh, getting on the phone and talking tonight. I appreciate it. And uh, you've been listening to Rocket Bomb with Matt from Most Giganticus. And uh, 
This is Legacy. This next song is Legacy off of uh, the EP Commander. Um, and be on the lookout for. Do, do you have a do you, you do you have a date yet on uh, Gift Horse? Yeah, the uh, tentative street date, which I'm hoping to adhere to, would be somewhere in the ballpark of uh, like June 26th. So late late June. We'll keep an eye out then, everyone, for 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 that uh, in June, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll uh, maybe we can talk again when uh, Gift Horse is out. So thanks, uh, thanks again for being on the show, and this is Legacy by Most Giganticus. Thank you. 